from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't like who I They're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. We this is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, April 29th. Thanks for hanging out this morning. When could sports return? We're getting differing reports, but a lot of those leagues in a conference call with the White House yesterday on the possibility of when return could happen and when widespread testing will be available because that's a huge part of the equation baseball pretty optimistic that they can return soon although they are returning funds to fans for games currently not being played because of the pandemic we'll dig into that plus Pete Carroll recapping the draft we got to hear from the coach as well as Steve Kerr on their new podcast flying coach Steve Kerr, by the way, as the NBA continues to try to find some solutions for returning to play, saying that his team is operating as if the season's over. Now, that's in huge part because they had the record that they had, I think only 15 wins to their name, the league worst. So what is this like for playoff teams or teams that might be in playoff contention versus teams that are not? And is it the same way in hockey as well? We'll dig into all of that, plus... A uh, closer look at one of the newest draft class at 6.30. It's all ahead in this hour right now. Let's get to your headlines. Chief medical officers from major sports leagues were on a call Tuesday with a member of the White House Coronavirus Task Force and administer for the Centers of Medicare and Medicaid Service, Medicaid Services. And according to White House officials, the call was to go over how sports could return and how they could play a role in the president's plan for reopening up America amid the coronavirus pandemic in a safe way, of course. Uh, the league medical officials on the latest testing of it were given briefed, or sorry, were briefed on the latest testing available and encouraged uh, to follow guidelines established by the Centers for Disease Control and Pre- Prevention. Among those representing the various sports leagues, Major League Baseball on the call, NFL, NBA, WNBA, NHL, the PGA Tour, LPGA Tour, and of course, the NCAA, among others. The PGA Tour was among the first professional sports leagues to announce that they had an intention to return to play with an actual date in mind. Uh, Plans to open the revised schedule on June 8th with the Charles Schwab Challenge in Texas at Fort Worth. So the first four tournaments of the new schedule for them will be played without fans in attendance, according to their plan. But the PGA Tour has also acknowledged that there's safety precautions that have to be implemented and things that have to uh, fall according to plan if that's going to happen. On the call, uh, the White House official emphasized to to leagues that the importance of finding innovative ways to allow sports to continue while keeping athletes, coaches, staff, and fans safe. Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bullsby, who was representing the college football playoff on that call, he said it lasted over an hour and said that uh, Dr. Brian Hainline was on for the NCAA. He said, they just told us what they knew and told us they were anxious to help in any way they could. We learned that there will likely be a lot more tests available, both the antibody tests and point of contact tests, which was a good thing for all of the pro guys and colleges. He did also mention, though, there's still too many unknowns to determine when the fall season might start. 
Major League Baseball is allowing teams to offer refunds to fans for games currently not being played because of the coronavirus pandemic. Previously, games were considered postponed uh, instead of canceled. If you've ever seen, you know, the fun little postponement that pops up on your MLB app uh, or anything because it's rained out. That's how essentially they were being viewed. But now uh, if they've been passed or played, you know, passed, they're considered that they were canceled and teams are now allowed to to return those if they should choose. But teams uh, are not requiring Excuse me. MLB is not requiring that teams return those funds. Each team will get to set its own policy, with many likely offering a credit for 2021 as an option. Teams can announce their new policies beginning today. MLB still has no start date for the 2020 season, and baseball could return this summer. We don't know yet. It's likely to be without fans in attendance for at least a portion of the season. Tim Kirkjian on ESPN yesterday talking about how baseball insiders, though, they are pretty optimistic about the season coming back. A couple days ago, I talked to someone who might know what's going on, even though he acknowledged he was guessing still, like we all are. But he thought we'd be playing baseball by the middle of June. That sounds ambitious to me. But he told me by the end of the season, like October, we'll be playing in regular stadiums in front of fans. I don't believe that either. But that was at least encouraging to hear that. And then yesterday, I spoke to Joe Madden of the Angels, who also said, look, I'm just guessing like everybody else, but he thought that we're going to start to hear the crack of the bat on June the 1st, which may be just the start of getting ready to go to spring training. So a lot of projected deadlines or timelines, but still no solid date in the works. The NBA continuing to pursue creative solutions to restarting. We heard the news earlier this week that they were going to open team facilities or at least allow them to be open for limited training activities with social distancing guidelines still in place. A lot of stipulations to that in terms of how many players can be there. Um, a coach that's not on the bench can uh, can be there. Golden State Warriors head coach, though, Steve Kerr, acknowledging yesterday that his team is operating as if the season is over. He was on a video conference call in conjunction with the University of San Francisco on Tuesday, and he said it's like the end of the season for his team. It feels like the end of the season for our team. It's just, and it just does. And we don't know anything officially. Uh, there's still a chance the league could ask us to come back and play some games. But given what we went through this season with all the injuries and the the tough uh, tough record, uh, it's been more of the case of. You know, we're staying in touch with guys, but everybody is just sort of assuming that, you know, this is this is kind of it. We're not going to be involved much anymore. Steve Kerr just saying they are absolutely in off-season mode now. They did have a league-worst 15-50 and 50 record when the season was suspended on March 11th. So that's a lot of what this has to do with. But Steve Kerr talking about that difference between playoff teams and non-playoff teams. The uh, The suspension came at an interesting time. And it really made a difference depending on where your team stood in the standings. So I've talked to some of my fellow coaches who are uh, coaching teams that are right in the thick of the playoff hunt. And, you know, they're trying desperately to stay in touch with their their team. And, and some of them are even doing uh, group workouts on, on Zoom with their, uh, their training staff. And uh, they're trying to find hoops for their players to, to shoot at, uh, you know, where they're, they're able to do so. 
trying to find creative solutions just like everyone in this time. Now, speaking of Steve Kerr, he is on a great new podcast with Pete Carroll, Flying Coach, as part of a Ringer series, limited edition series that those two coaches are putting out. And Pete Carroll, on the latest episode that was published yesterday, talked about the draft and a little recap of what happened. Now, it was the virtual draft, which created a challenge for a lot of coaches, staff members, but we didn't see it on the broadcast, which was pretty remarkable. There was maybe a few delays that happened, but all in all, considering everything that went into that, which was over 600 remote location cameras that between fans, between players, between head coaches, between GMs, it was pretty incredible. Now, Pete Carroll had a little story, though, about how he uh, made a made a mistake of switching computers right before the draft. Well, I made a classic error myself in, in uh it's just minutes before we start the draft, uh, the, I had a real nice laptop that wasn't being in use. So I decided to go you know, with my tech guy. I decided to go with that instead of another iPad that I was prepared to use. And sure enough, something that isn't worked out and you haven't, you know, you haven't drilled it on it, you know, because we had drilled just incessantly to figure this stuff out. And right like, okay, I'll go with that. That'd be great. And I couldn't find it. <laughs> I was, I was, I was, you know, interrupting and, and I was, I needed to be on mute, off mute, all different kinds. Of, I totally screwed up. So I just unplugged it, threw mm-hmm. it away. And said, okay, let's go back to the iPad, go back to your jumper from the top of the key instead, you know, and, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a classic. I was a real screw up. So I had to learn again. I'm fine if Pete always wants to incorporate a basketball, basketball analogies into everything. He also asked about trading in this draft. He said it worked out fine for them. It worked out, it worked out fine. You know, we have a number of guys that, that were doing it. Remember, everybody's in their own home. We're not in the same place. So everybody's in their own home calling around and, and, uh, I was so impressed, you know, how poised our guys were with the time frames that you're working against and the, and the multiple choices. We would have sometimes five and six different draft uh, options and scenarios in front of us on the screen to figure it out. And, and uh, John did a great job. And it really it just speaks to the experience and, and just, to, you know, just the, the background of, of our group that had worked together, too. I mean, you know, if you were a new group and, you know, you might have some other issues, but we didn't have any glitches. We didn't have any problems. And, and uh um, the whole the whole thing worked out fine. Coming up on the Blitz, uh, another quote from Pete Carroll that I want to play for you about how he drafted and put together the team when he first got to Seattle. Also, one of the best draft day phone calls that I can remember in their tenure. I'll play it for you next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is the Blitz. I'm the GM for the Hawks. You're gonna come, come be with the Hawks, okay? No, be coach. Go ahead, man. Coach, don't do it, coach. Coach, don't do it, coach. Please, What's that? You playing? No, we're selecting you right here, buddy. Turn it in, Matt. We got you, dog. You're coming. You're coming to Seattle. Yeah, buddy. Let's get to work, buddy. Let's get to work, buddy. Welcome back to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you. Man, I get goosebumps here in that one. That was one of the newest Seahawks, drafted in seventh round by the Seahawks. Another player they traded into the seventh round to get, we'll play the full phone call in its entirety because it is just that good. Maybe, maybe more than once today because... Yeah, it'll just put a smile on your face. Those are the moments that you're there for. Speaking of the draft, Pete Carroll was chatting with Steve Kerr this week about 
the draft in general, draft recap. Now, he and Steve Kerr are doing an amazing podcast called Flying Coach on as part of a Ringer series and helping money, helping to raise money for COVID-19 relief. He talked to Steve Kerr about how he drafted and put together a team when he first got to Seattle, which I thought was cool. Looking back in for hindsight, here is Pete Carroll. And we did hundreds of, of, of transactions the first year and we somehow made it to a division uh, you know and won a division with a with a losing record and went to the playoffs i mean it's this crazy stuff happened but we started it and in the first couple of years we we drafted uh and and found some guys in free agency that were you could just tell they were the core guys of your program and we were going to build a team around them. And we did. And, and we, we fortunately had a real collection of great competitive guys and really everybody had a chip on their shoulder. Everybody had something to prove and they couldn't wait to go out and do it on a regular daily basis. And the practices always showed, showed all of that intention, that, that, that the, the toughness and the aggressiveness and the com- competition, all that was always there. So that it's how we built our, our program was based on the com- competition approach, you know, and central theme in our program. Now, if you take that forward to the 2020 draft, a lot of these guys listening to their stories, incredible stories of how they got to where they are in college and now being drafted by the Seahawks, they a lot of times have that as well, whether it's the chip on their shoulder or just the fact that they've been through a lot. They've been through adversity in life and know how to conquer it and come out on the positive side of it. That was a theme definitely in this year's draft. We'll continue to uh, look through and uh, get to know better these players, including today at 6.30, right guard Damian Lewis. We'll dig into that. ESPN's Bill Barnwell, he had a great article up uh, at ESPN just published today outlining one player from each NFL team that seems likely to get cut this upcoming season. So let's dig into the NFC West and how he projects that there. We know that this is one of the most, I would just say, the most formidable division in football right now. And watching that draft, I didn't think any of those teams got worse, per se. In the NFC West, Bill Barnwell, uh, starting with the L.A. Rams, says running back John Kelly is the nominee to get cut. Uh, He nominated him as the most likely candidate last year, but uh, he went from Sean McVay's team in November to being on the practice squad, made it back to the active roster the following month. We know the Rams have had a lot of turnover at that running back position. Todd Gurley's release opened up a roster spot, but the decision to draft Cam Akers in the second round took away that opportunity. Kelly would need to beat out 2019 third-round pick Daryl Henderson, according to Barnwell, to make the roster. And while the Rams seem to be, I don't know, uh, up and down mercurial with Henderson as well, he just got 39 carries as a rookie. They've also shown little interest in giving Kelly regular season opportunities. This one hurt hearing this from Bill Barnwell, uh, most likely to be cut in San Francisco. He noted wide receiver and Washington favorite Dante Pettis. The 49ers cleared out some of their depth at running back and wide receiver. They traded away Matt Breda, Marquise Goodwin during the draft, but they also drafted in the first round Brandon Ayuk, who looks like he's going to be a star. And now they've got too many wideouts on their roster. Ayuk, Debo Samuel, Jalen Hurd will likely make the roster sure bets too. So that leaves Dante Pettis, Kendrick Bourne, Richie James, Trent Taylor, and Travis Benjamin to compete for what Barnwell sells, says would likely be a max of three jobs. In Arizona, the candidate is linebacker Hassan Reddick. Uh, he never seemed to find a foothold in Arizona, according to Barnwell, where the Cardinals 
didn't manage to convert the 2017 number 13 overall pick, his athleticism and versatility into a meaningful role there. They have already made moves to replace Reddick by signing Devondre Campbell and now using a top 10 pick on Isaiah Simmons, the guy who said that you were getting three different players by drafting him because of his versatility. Josh Weinfuss, who writes about the Cardinals for ESPN, joining 710 yesterday, talked about that defense specifically in Arizona and how they got so much better in the draft and in all their offseason moves. So now the Cardinals went out and signed Jordan Phillips. So now Corey Peters has some help on the front on uh, on the defensive line. They drafted two more defensive linemen, a guy at Utah and then a guy at LSU, and they signed Devon Kennard, another outside linebacker who's had seven sacks the last two seasons. They already had Hassan Reddick who can fill a bit role. They drafted Simmons, so that front seven got significantly better. And what it's going to do is it's going to make teams pick and choose who who the offensive line blocks, right? You can't now double and triple team Chandler Jones because you're going to leave open lanes for talented pass rushers up the middle and on the outside. Barnwell says the Cardinals will likely decline Reddick's fifth-year option. It's probable that they'll try to shop him for a late-round pick but uh, and might do it to the Panthers because we know that they are pretty defensive focused there, using all of their picks on that side of the ball. And Matt Rule was formerly Reddick's coach at Temple, so there's a connection there. Finally, the Seattle Seahawks, Barnwell's uh, candidate, most likely candidate to get cut, a fan favorite tight end, Luke Wilson. We know that they are now stacked in that tight end room. Last year wasn't the case uh, late in the year, of course, hampered by injuries, had to turn to Jacob Hollister, who had spent time on the practice squad to be their starter and go-to guy. But this offseason, they signed Greg Olson, drafted Colby Parkinson, and Stephen Sullivan to compete with Hollister, Wilson and Will Disley for roster spots. Now, where is Will Disley in his recovery process? We don't know exactly quite yet. We have heard from Billy Bozeman, Uncle Will, about it, and he seems in positive spirits. Pete Carroll seemed uh, very optimistic that he would uh, be back and contributing this season, but we still don't know that. Wilson, fan favorite in the locker room, and Barnwell calls him an underrated player, but uh, doesn't have the upside of Seattle's younger options. And he says Olson Parkinson pretty much locks to make this team. So that battle for the other tight end spots will get interesting. Steven Sullivan, though, we're all rooting for him after hearing his draft day call, which was uh, one of the more amazing ones that I can remember hearing in recent memory. I want to play the full thing for you. Here it is. Stefan. Yes, sir. Hey, it's John Schneider with the Seattle Seahawks, man. How you doing? Good. We're getting ready to select you right here, bud. Man, coach, don't play with me, coach. <laughs> no, I am. I'm the GM for the Hawks. You're going to come come be with the Hawks, okay? Don't play with me, Coach. Go ahead, coach, man. Coach, don't play with me, Coach. Coach, don't do it to me, Coach. Please. Please don't play with me, Coach. What's that? You playing? No. We're selecting you right here, buddy. Turn it yeah. in, Matt. Turn it in, Matt. <laughs> we got you, dog. You're coming, you're coming to Seattle. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Oh, let's get to work, Coach. Let's get to work, let's buddy. Get to work. All right. Hey, everybody's fired up for you. We're fired up for you, buddy. Let's go. Let's go. I'll see you. Hey, put my name up there. Put my name up there. They're gonna put it up. Hey, Coach Coach Carroll's gonna give you a call in a couple minutes, okay? Yes, sir. All right, bud. (laughs) Oh man. you're not crying. I'm not crying. You're crying. Steven Sullivan, I'm getting that draft day call. That was pretty incredible. 
and uh, and we'll be excited to have him here in Seattle. Another person we're excited to have, right guard Damian Lewis, the offensive lineman selected out of LSU, one of the 14 players. He was a teammate of Sullivan's as well. We'll hear from him. He gave one of the best interviews I've ever heard as well. Plenty of personality, how he describes himself as a player and how he will help out, could help out the Seahawks immediately on the offensive line. It's next right here on The Blitz on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, April 29th. And every day at 6.30, we're taking a deeper look at one of the newest Seahawks added in this year's draft class. Eight players in total. Maybe we'll even dig into the undrafted free agents because... Of course, Anthony Gordon, a familiar name here in the Pacific Northwest. But as of now, we are on to round three, the 69 overall pick. Right guard Damian Lewis out of LSU, one of 14 picks out of LSU. Pretty incredible Ed Orgeron squad. But LSU guard Damian Lewis, they traded uh, down to draft him. And here was that pick. Seattle Seahawks select Damian Lewis, guard LSU. Sleepy Goodell in his basement on a Friday night. The Canton, Mississippi native, 6'2", uh, 327 pounds, ran a 5-2-4 at the Combine and put up 27 reps on the bench press. We know this was an incredibly talented and stout LSU front, but the Tigers touted him not as only as their strongest offensive lineman, but their most powerful player overall. He's got tremendous leg strength, squatted 635 pounds, and had a bench press of nearly 500 in his time with the Tigers. Uh, They labeled him a road grader for them up front, a punishing blocker who excels in both pass protection and the run game. He was named a first-team All-America in 2019 by The Athletic and second-team All-SEC from both the SEC coaches as well as the Associated Press. He was a two-year starter at right guard for the Tigers after transferring from Northwest Mississippi Community College. So he went uh, the JUCO route at first, but an immediate starter at right guard for them and uh, not only earning second-team JC All-American notice in both of his seasons there, but also academic all-district notice as a sophomore, which is pretty cool. LSU signed him to assume the same position on their O-line in 2018, and he entered the starting lineup in their season opener, started all 28 games of his career, and for all 28 of those games, lined up next to center Lloyd Cushenberry uh, to give LSU one of the best center guard tandems in college football this past year. Cushenberry ended up going in the draft in mere 14 slots after Lewis. He was taken by the Denver Broncos in the third round, 83rd overall. But in his time in Baton Rouge, playing for the one and only Coach O, the Tigers went 25-3, and won a national championship last year as well. And his earning second-team All-SEC honors for his play at right guard in all 15 games of the team's national title run in 2019, helping the Tigers O-line also win the Joe Moore Award as the top front five in the country, helped pave the way for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire to put up those numbers on the ground, and then Heisman Trophy Award winner Joe, Joe Burrow as well. Pete Carroll mentioned his close relationship with Coach Orgeron, and that being a part of the reason they knew he had positive remarks from Ed on Damian Lewis. We have very, very clear communication with Eddie throughout. We, we stay in touch. Uh, matter of fact, he was the highlight of the post a draft pick of Damian Williams. He, everybody got to, to hear him as he, he was going on and on about him. And 
how much he loves the kid and all that. But yeah, well, I, we had great, our scouts had great information. It was really helpful that, you know, I felt really confident too and, and, and to see uh, all the connections and why we felt so strongly about Damon, you know, from the background checks and all of that. So, it, it, you know, those kinds of relationships are important. And Eddie and I see things, you know, squared up. And, and uh, so when he's telling me I'm going to love this kid and I'm going to think the world of him by the way he competes and battles and all that, I know, he, I know he's right, you know, so that does help. Um, and then Schneider also mentioning his frame and where he would fall in on the offensive line. Uh, 6'2", uh, 327 suggests he's probably strictly an interior player. Uh, and John Schneider mentioning that stout player, but can play both guard and center. Although right guard, he spent that time uh, all throughout college there. So stout. He's so heavy with his hands. He's got great anchor. He's got really good eyes. And you can see him play against uh, top-level competition. So it makes the the uh, evaluation that much easier. But, you know, yes, he has taken some snaps at center. Uh, but obviously we see it's it's easier for us to see him competing at right guard. Yeah, it's okay to just be a guard. It's okay to be just be a guard. John Schneider also on how Damian Lewis fares in pass protection. He's got good length for a guy that's not, you know, ideally as tall as, you know, some would like. But, you know, I think it's, you know, personally, we you know, I, I like it because – Plays with great leverage, and he's he's a real stout dude. Nobody really walks him back. He's very aggressive, and uh, he's got he's got great eyes. And he's played again. He's played against the best players in the country. He also was on uh, with Seven Ten recently. One of the best phone calls I can remember, describing himself as a player. You know, I'm just a mean, tough, and nasty guy. You know, who can do it all. You know, small guys in the run, small guys in the pass. You know, just come in to lay it out every every play, you know, every snap. Just don't give it at all. You know, my thing that I had at LSU, you know, all out. So, you know, I'm just carry that, you know, always smashing inks with hammer, you know, just keep that mentality, that dog mentality, just stay hungry, and, you know, just play at the edge and bring that real competitor and use that nasty with me. People seeming to agree that this is the Seahawks draftee that has the best opportunity to come in and contribute right away in his rookie season. Of course, still so much up in the air and unknown about when that season will start in terms of the offseason program. But Pete Carroll and John Schneider mentioning that uh, he will compete at right guard and immediately. Yeah, he will. Uh, he he won't take a backseat to anybody. He's going to come in here and battle for it. And so um, we feel really good. That's that's really part of the reason we, we took him. We want him to come in here and battle to play. And uh, all of that competition will make us better. He's a grown man. I mean, that's, that's you know, we talked about it. Before. I think we talked about it a couple of days ago. You know, Russ, 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 grown man in front of him. And that's what this guy is. Grown man. I loved his NFL.com scouting report. One of his strengths was just chiseled out of granite. Yep, that would be a good description. I'd wear that one with pride. Brock Heward also echoing those sentiments that Damian Lewis has the best chance to start this year, but still, it'll be tough. And Pete Carroll also said that too. It'll be a challenge for him to come in here on and on potentially short offseason. Rookie minicamp we know is all online, all virtual, and learn their blocking schemes. But the good news is that LSU prepares you uh, as much as possible for the pros. It's going to be, you know, it's definitely, it's a challenge anyway. It's a challenge to make the transition. Fortunately, they had a, uh, at LSU, they had a very high-tech program. They were very much the cutting edge, pass protection-wise, in, in the concepts that they coached and demanded of the players to learn. And his coaches, Eddie in particular, raved about his, his work ethic, uh, his study ethic, um, and, and it's just his overall smarts and understanding of the game. 
Damien Lewis describing himself as mean, tough, and nasty, which I like to hear, but also just talked about that dream coming true, getting that draft day phone call. When I first saw the numbers come up, it had a WA. I was looking at the numbers wrong. Well, I was looking at the number too hard because I was like, wow, it's a number I never saw before. I was like, ah, oh, it happened. So I answered the phone. It was Kobe Pete. And, and he was like, Damien, how you feel coming to Seattle and play for you know, we're going to use the pick on you. Uh, like, for real, like, I just froze that moment right there. Everything just froze. Like, everything just stopped. My mom, she was crying. She was tapping on me. But I just had to think about, you know, where I come from and just look back where I end up now, you know, from high school with zero offers, you know, with the JUCO, now on the national LSU team, and now getting my name called playing for the Seattle Seahawks. That's pretty incredible. And, Fits right in here in Seattle, that chip on your shoulder, not getting any offers out of high school, but paving your way to LSU and winning a national championship and being drafted by the Seattle Seahawks. Not bad. He also mentioned that he is ready to come to Seattle to work hard and to learn and also mentioned a a cool phone call he got from one Mr. Russell Wilson. You know, Russell, he was excited for me, telling me, you know, we come down here, you know, we win Super Bowl. Come prepared to work, you know, come compete. You know, you got a great shot. Just come out here and just have fun. And, you know, it's a work a work thing. So no days out. We're going to hit it. We're going to grind. We're just going to keep on going, you know, get better every day. That was a deeper look at guard Damian Lewis, the Seahawks' third-round pick. Those will continue uh, every morning at 6.30 a.m. Up next on the Blitz, though, it is time for the hot list. Quarterback Jameis Winston heading to New Orleans. Was he throwing a little shade at Tampa Bay? And speaking of Tampa Bay, another investigation into Tom Brady's actions. I'll explain next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 6.45. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! Tom Brady's arrival in Tampa Bay had a little bit of everything, hasn't it? Renting Derek Jeter's mansion, trademark applications for Tampa Brady, Tampa Brady Beach Club, Tampa Brady, among others. Also was sighted at a local park. And then there was the accidental breaking and entering uh, accusation. Not really an accusation, but it was a funny story that circulated. Remember when he entered the home of offensive line, or excuse me, offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich's neighbor instead of Leftwich's house? Mm, yeah, more than just causing a few laughs. The incident led to multiple teams inquiring if the Bucks violated the NFL's dead period prior to the virtual offseason program. The NFL did a subsequent investigation, must have been a pretty quick one, and determined that no violation of offseason work rules occurred. Due to COVID-19, NFL players and non-essential personnel, they can't enter team facilities. They can't conduct the league's originally scheduled offseason programs uh, as they typically do which include classroom instruction and conditioning. Instead, the NFL, in guidelines with social distancing, created a virtual off-season program for teams, which started 
this Monday, and teams and returning coaches can participate. The program is strictly virtual, consists of three weeks of classroom learning and instruction via video conferencing, also includes virtual workouts and non-football educational programs. So the concern among teams was that in-person instruction was taking place uh, maybe down there in Tampa Bay. According to ESPN, though, and their sources, Brady was just coming over to retrieve a playbook, which is consistent with the league's finding that were first reported by NFL Network. Interesting. Sure, sure. Quarterback Jameis Winston officially heading to the New Orleans Saints after reaching a one-year deal on Tuesday. The team announced this officially yesterday. We had heard rumors about it, but 26-year-old Winston hoping to experience the same type of career revival in New Orleans that Teddy Bridgewater did under the coaching of Sean Payton and Drew Brees. Yeah, future Hall of Famer there. Number one overall pick in 2015, Winston was displaced in Tampa when the Bucks signed Tom Brady last month. Although Winston led the NFL with over 5,100 passing yards in 2019, he also became the first cornerback in league history to throw for at least 30 touchdown passes and 30 interceptions in the same season. <sighs> Not what you want. Uh, in a statement to ESPN, chatting with them, uh, Jameis Winston said, quote, there's no better position than to be in the same room with someone that I've really looked up to that I've admired since I've been playing this game. And Drew Brees also uh, Brees is telling ESPN he's excited to have Winston in that QB room. Mike Golick Jr. this morning saying Winston will actually grow in his mind because he has to sit and learn behind him. The value in this is a difference in perspective. And this isn't necessarily saying one's better than the other. Like, and in all this, like Bruce Arians is a great quarterback coach and a great coach in general for a lot of reasons. Like the book, th- the book thing is fun for all of us on yeah. that, but that doesn't like up your stock in my book because we can all put pen to paper. I know plenty of people that have written books on football that I wouldn't necessarily look at and say yeah. that I- I'm inclined to read. But like, I-, I guess in all of this, I say it's the value of perspective, right? It's Jameis gets to take this class and he doesn't have to take the test right away. Jameis had to take a test basically every week when he was in Tampa Bay. Jameis has also had four different professors shouting in his ear through the entire time there. And listen, most of this falls on him at the end of the day. But I think the value in the change is perspective. Value in changes in perspective. Uh, Trey Wingo on why he thinks people will think things will be different in New Orleans. If the guy who literally wrote the book called The Quarterback Whisperer, when you were playing with him and you had a full offseason under him, and you had training camps and mini camps where you actually are playing on the field, which they hope you don't do in New Orleans, and you didn't get it then from him, why would it be any different in New Orleans? Dan Graziano also talking about Jameis is clearly the backup there, but Taysom Hill is the successor to Drew Brees. If Drew Brees had retired, my understanding is the Saints were were prepared to go with Taysom Hill as their starting quarterback. But in that case, they would have had to redesign an entire offense around him. Now with Breeze coming back, they need a more traditional passer as their backup, and they can keep Taysom Hill in the role that he succeeded in for the last two years. One-year deal for Jameis Winston in New Orleans, so if Breeze retires and they want to go with Hill next year, they can. But uh, it gives them the opportunity to have an experienced backup to step in there if Breeze has to miss games, exactly the way Teddy Bridgewater did this past year. Speaking of quarterbacks in the NFL, Dan Graziano also with some thoughts on the Joe Burrow situation in Cincinnati. 
Joe Burrow, clearly their court franchise quarterback of the future, but Andy Dalton's still on that roster. And Graziano's saying the Bengals in no rush to move uh, Andy as this, at this point. Andy Dalton has been a player that's been available in trade since last October, but the Bengals haven't found a trade partner. And right now, my understanding is they're not in a position where they want to give Andy Dalton away. They're not looking to get rid of him. They, because of, you know, Burroughs on a rookie contract, they could keep Dalton at his $17 million salary and have him as a fallback option. A lot of teams are very concerned because of this weird offseason season and they don't know what exactly what's going to happen in terms of when people can get together and practice a lot of teams are concerned about the ability of rookies to get ready and so if you're the Bengals and Andy Dalton is your hedge then there's no harm in keeping him around as a potential starter and a mentor for Joe Burrow unless somebody gives you what you want in a trade how about what's going on in Green Bay they took Jordan Love right ahead of the Seahawks in the first round and Aaron Rodgers still very much part of that organization we had heard that Matt LaFleur hadn't spoken with Aaron Rodgers beforehand or even directly afterwards uh, when that happened and that those two uh, could be headed for a clash at some point. But Dan Graziano also speaking to any sort of Aaron Rodgers trade speculation that came as a result. He says that's overreaction. If they were to trade him now, very hypothetically, it's more than $51 million in dead money on this year's salary cap. It would actually add $29 million to this year's cap. They don't have that cap room to even do it if they wanted to. Even if they trade him next year, you're looking at more than $31 million in dead money. Uh, a trade of Aaron Rodgers out of Green Bay is pretty much impossible this year and would be extremely painful for the team next year. If you were to do it this time next year, you'd have have to be sure that Rodgers was done and or Jordan Love was absolutely ready to go and be a star in the NFL in 2021. So, yeah, asking for a trade is very far-fetched and, quite frankly, uh, kind of an insane overreaction. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has been there since 2005. He's played in four NFC championship games. Like, the, the notion that the Packers are not consistently putting Aaron Rodgers in a position to win and succeed and win championships just isn't supported by the facts. Mike Golick, though, saying this morning that drafting a wide receiver and a lot of discussion came about this could have uh, gotten the Packers over the top in his mind. And what I'll say about, yeah, they were led by defense last year, and they made it to the NFC Championship game. So now you find, you tinker with things that you need to get you over the hump. Correct. I get offensive linemen being one of them, considering what you lost, but wide receiver is another one of them. It is something you need to tinker with to get you over the top, and they didn't do it. Uh, what else is going on? Oh, five-star guard Deshaun Nix is decommitting from UCLA and signing with the new G League Pathway Program, the league announced yesterday. He said, quote, I think it was the right thing for me because it was a family thing and a myself thing. He told the LA Times this playing in G League is basically getting me ready for the NBA draft. It's just one step below the NBA. And uh, he is the third player to join the G League from the 2020 class following number one prospect Jalen Green and five-star forward Isaiah Todd, both of whom made their decision earlier this month. Nix is the first player uh, to go back on a signed letter of intent to join the G League, though. He was ranked number 20 in the ESPN 100 for 2020 and is number 12 in ESPN's most recent 2021 mock draft. Adrian Morjanowski on G League uh, signing top prospects. The league understood that once they started to offer uh, money in the range of 300, 400, 500,000 for the absolute elite prospects, they were going to get players to commit. That was their plan all along. But 
But understand, especially in an NBA right now where there is no revenue, where teams are cash strapped right now, there's going to be a limit to how aggressive, just for optics, they are uh, in the NBA going to be on how how many of these players they're going to bring in in a given year. Kansas City Chiefs cornerback Bashad Breeland was arrested on multiple charges yesterday in York County, South Carolina. The 28-year-old faces charges of resisting arrest, having alcohol in a motor vehicle with the seal broken, having an open container of beer or wine in a motor vehicle, possession of 28 grams or less of marijuana or 10 grams of hash, and driving without a license. According to the sheriff's office, Breland was in county jail and bond has not been set at this time. The chief said they were aware but wouldn't have a comment at this moment. Breland, after four seasons with Washington, one with the Packers, joined the Chiefs on a one-year contract as a free agent last season. He started 15 regular season games, plus three in the playoffs, and had an interception in the Chiefs' Super Bowl victory over San Francisco. He recently re-signed with the Chiefs on another one-year deal. Well, we got to hear from Pete Carroll on some reflections on this draft. This in terms of uh, reflecting with Steve Kerr in terms, sorry, excuse me, in the Flying Coach podcast, which has been put on by The Ringer. He tells a story of how he switched computers just before the draft and had to switch back. Well, I made a classic error myself <laughs> in, in uh, it's just minutes before we start the draft. Uh, there, I had a real nice laptop that wasn't being in use, so I decided to go you know, with my tech guy. I decided to go with that instead of another iPad that I was prepared to use. And sure enough, something that isn't worked out, and you haven't, you know, you haven't drilled it on it, you know, because we had drilled just incessantly to figure this stuff out. And right, like, okay, I'll go with that. That'd be great. And I couldn't find it. <laughs> I was, I was, I was, you know, interrupting, and, and I was, I needed to be on mute, off mute, all different kinds. Of, I totally screwed up. So I just unplugged it, threw it away, and said, okay, let's go back to the iPad. Go back to your jumper from the top of the key instead, you know, and, and uh, you know, it was a classic. I was a real screw up. So I had to learn again. It worked out, though, Pete. It worked out. Uh, also, let's just go out on, on this note, replaying this draft call. Stephen Sullivan, the tight end, selected out of LSU in the seventh round. Just want to play this for you one more time because uh, not only did the draft work out for the Seahawks, but it worked out for some players who are very excited to come to Seattle. Stephon. Yes, sir. Hey, it's John Schneider with the Seattle Seahawks, man. How you doing? Good. We're getting ready to select you right here, bud. Man, coach, don't play with me, coach. <laughs> no, I am. I'm the GM for the Hawks. You're going to come come be with the Hawks, okay? Don't play with me, coach. Go ahead, coach, man. Don't coach, don't play with me, coach. Coach, don't do it to me, coach. Please. Please don't play with me, coach. What's that? You playing? No. We're selecting you right here, buddy. Turn it yeah. in, man. Turn it in, man. <laughs> we got you, dog. You're coming, you're coming to Seattle. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Oh, let's get to work, coach. Let's get to work, let's get buddy. To work. All right. Let's get to work. Hey, everybody's fired up for you. We're fired up for you, buddy. Let's go. Let's go. I'll see you. Hey, Coach. They're going to put it up. Hey, Coach Carroll is going to give you a call in a couple minutes, okay? Yes, sir. All right, bud. That's a wrap for the hot list and the entire Blitz at Six Hour. What a cool moment. Danny and Gallant coming your way next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.